Welcome to the Heavy Hole. My name is Tom. I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. I'm Justin. I'm on the Heavy Hole. <laughs> You're back, man. We missed you, buddy. He's back again, Mr. Justin. What's going on, man? I have been places. Yeah, I heard, man. You had a fucked up weekend, bro. <laughs> I've heard a whole about this fucking carrot. What's going on with that shit, man? Oh, it was beautiful. Um, you ever seen a real-life um, piece of gold, possibly from Fort Knox? You ever held that impressive weight in your hand i I'm, haven't i'm not that privileged i'm not yes. gonna get i'm not gonna get political so i'm not <laughs> neither have i but i've you know maybe not i haven't really read any or seen anything about it but could, i could imagine <laughs> that this is what it was like times two two sister carrots it's like in the movie twister right when they're they're seeing the tornado come and uh and the cows are flying and they go oh my god sisters and it's two thick weighty tornadoes just dancing with one another this happened to me but with root vegetables much like an internal suffering album cover sure oh, oh yeah whales floating around and mm. like, yeah like the chaotic matrix you and know. Yeah. you know equally as heavy yeah okay all right man uh, a- allegedly uh, a completely organic experience not under any kind of alleged influences no the the what it really gassed me up for this the, this meeting of this impressive you know Lo- fruit of the loin of the earth well, was just driving out there in the uh, all new Chevy Silverado. Uh, we, what? <laughs> are you getting all right? Well, are look, you getting sponsored and we don't know about it? There's so, not a sponsor. If, the, if, some, if, a, a carrot farmer somewhere in Chevy is slipping this guy an envelope under the table for heavy hole podcast. If anybody yeah. from Chevrolet is listening, uh, give us a call. Yeah, heavy hole doesn't have a Patreon, but Justin <laughs> does. <laughs> yes, Tom, Tom, Tom. What was going on with your weekend, man? This guy's getting enough out of it. I'm jealous. I'm jealous. I'm jealous because I can't speak so freely about my weekend. Uh oh. Well, and, we and it's not because I didn't do like uh, I just didn't. I didn't have as many emotions. A magic mm. word, allegedly. Allegedly, that, that always helps in yes. these situations. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Will, what's happening with you, man? Wow, it was it was that kind of a weekend, huh, Tom? He just he passed that <laughs> hot potato on the weekend, man. All right, dude, no doubt. I don't want to know. Hey. Uh, I um, what did I do over the weekend? It was so good I don't remember. I worked a little bit of the old overtime on Saturday, yesterday. Me and the old man went fishing, Comset State Park, the old spot. I got a big family history. Maybe I'll elaborate another podcast where we don't have a guest. Uh, caught some of these old hackleheads, nasty little fish, but you can make a nice fillet out of them. Best name. Cooked them up. Yeah, man. Well, a, a gentleman, uh, shout out to the gentleman who turned me on to something. He said. I asked him what kind of bait he's using. He's using strictly live bloodworms. He said he notices these hackleheads are bottom feeders and they'll, get, they'll eat the clams. So shout out to all my fishermen out there. There's actually a classic East Coast death metal singer from the 90s through today that um, took a break and, and was a semi-pro fisherman in Florida between albums. And we're going to get him on the show. I'm not even going to reveal to you guys yet. Stay but, tuned. But yeah, shout out to all my fishermen. I was doing my fishing thing. And here we go. Here's the seg. I'm riding it. Paul Blart Morcop in the house riding right into our interview with Horrendous because I listened to a lot of Horrendous over the weekend, which was a pleasure. Big fan of the band. Didn't hear anything new. I'm familiar with all their material, um, but I kind of re-listened to it, did my research, tried to figure out what to ask this guy, Matt Knox, uh, guitarist and um, vocalist of the band, and he's going to be uh, calling in. We're going to call him. We're going to figure out in just a few minutes. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, excited for this. Yeah, man. So Horrendous uh, from Philly death metal band uh, several albums out season of mist records uh, if you don't know about them get on board
Hello. Hey, Matt. Will, what's up? How you doing, buddy? I am doing just fine. How are you? Awesome, man. Thanks a lot for um, you know letting us call you and uh, giving us a little bit of your time. Hey, of course. Uh, can you first question? Can you hear me decently enough? Is everything cool? I can hear you. I'm looking at um, Tom, who's doing our audio engineer. Is everything good? We yeah, sounds good to me. All right. By the way, Matt, that's Tom, my co-host here. Okay, Tom, what's up? Not too much, Matt. Thanks for your time, dude. Hey, of course, of course. And uh, this voice over here is Justin, my other co-host. How's it going, buddy? Thanks All right, for uh, giving us your time. Got the got a uh, the three musketeers here on me. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, well, just like you guys up until a few years ago, right? That is true. Yeah, it's yeah, quite pa- true. Power trio, man. We're, I, I got a lot of questions for you, and we're going to get into that. Um, Alrighty. As I always say, we want to be respectful of your time, and we have a lot of questions. So if you're good, I just want to kind of jump into the uh, the questions, man. Hey, go for it, man. Awesome. Hopefully, I hopefully I have uh, adequate answers for them. We'll see. <laughs> all right, man. Uh, whatever you got to do, man. No pressure, man. All right, we're not the cops. All right. Um, hey, well, I'll, that's that remains to be seen. We'll see. <laughs> oh boy, man, this guy thinks I'm a narc right off the I'm bat, getting, man. I'm, I'm getting ready for those uh, the old Facebook photo questions or something. We'll yeah. see. Yeah, no, 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 no. This guy's from Philly. You could tell, man. What's your address? <laughs> you got it. Yes, there you go. There we go. We're off. To, now we're really off to the start here. Let me know every time you ever played a house show. We got to go check that out. <laughs> um, how no. many? How many kids were nineteen there? Yeah. <laughs> all right, I man. I swear, I swear, I didn't get them beer. It's all right. We'll start soft, man. Um, your, your family tree. Uh, the obvious question. Um, your brother Jamie, right? Yes. Uh, are you guys identical twins? Uh, no, we are not actually. He is two years my senior. Okay. All right. Um, and. You, he plays. He's he plays drums, and you play guitar and do vocals in the band. It's always been uh, that that way, right? Yes. Yep. Okay. So before we really get into the music, are you guys from a musical or a creative family growing up? Uh, astonishingly, no, not at all, actually. And uh, the the crazy thing, which I think a lot of people don't know about, is that Jamie uh, drums was never his first instrument. So he was actually started with bass and a bit of guitar as well. And we have some other projects that we do in Philly where he's still playing bass. But drums kind of came out of a necessity where it was like we wanted to keep playing music. We had played with some people before and then things didn't work out. And he was just like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to start learning drums and just went from there. And was Horrendous the first band where he was playing drums? No, he and I had this like weird, I mean... This is back when I was 16, 17, probably. It was, it was not really a project to speak of, but playing in our parents' basement, writing songs, and just honing our chops, I guess, if you want to say that. Okay, and um, I mean, talking about when you're younger, when do you kind of notice heavy metal and starts, you know, separating your musical interest away? And is, is it maybe your brother first, or is it the same time? Like, what's the main influence driving you guys into heavy music? Ah, good question. So, I guess to give a bit more background, because I realized I didn't quite answer your last question. Um, we, our family was not very musical or artistic in any way. I had a my dad's aunt actually, who I really loved, my great aunt. She was a painter, but that was kind of the, but it was really more of a hobby for her. But that, that was really the only uh, speck of artistry I think that we had on our family tree, as far as I know. But we we just grew up. Jamie and I grew up in a rural area out like an hour and 20 minutes from philly and at the time we were growing up there really just wasn't anything there to do honestly and uh, while he and i both enjoyed playing sports we're never huge 
athletes or, or really just didn't want to devote the time. And I think once we discovered, which we started with was punk music, um, we kind of just never went back. I think we, trying to remember, how do we get into punk? I'm trying to think of, Jamie's actually here next to me for some moral support. So. <laughs> hey, what's up, Jamie? <laughs> <laughs> Will, Will says, what's up? Jason, Jamie says, what's up? But Ah, that's, that's right. Thank you for that answer there. So kind of semi-convoluted tale of how we got into heavy music is that I think Jamie got a Blink-182 CD. I want to say it was Enemy of the State when it came out and that was kind of our jam for a while and I think we just Jamie looked in the liner notes of the CD and there were a bunch of thank yous as there always are and there are a lot of other punk bands on there that were kind of more real punk bands so we started I think with Kid Dynamite and other shit like that and like Pennywise and that just got us into all this punk and the, the desire to play actually started from that we kind of we wanted to start a punk band and we did and I think once I started playing guitar, I ended up taking lessons from this really interesting like biker guy in the area. And he was in this band called Thunderbrew. Nice. Which, <laughs> yeah, Thunderbrew. That's awesome. Uh, sorry, I, I've name dropped him quite a bit, actually, in a lot of interviews recently. I'm wondering if he'll ever hear it. It'd be hilarious. But uh, this band Thunderbrew, it was very much influenced by Black Label Society. Oh man! Well, yeah, the biker so thing, you, can, you know, that yeah, yeah. kind of helps me oh, imagine yeah. that. So you can put you can put all the dots together here. So he was very much a, a Zach Wild guy, but also huge fan of like Iron Maiden and the earlier Ozzy stuff, and Megadeth. And he's, in all honesty, the the real gateway of of what got me into heavier music because he's he showed me Iron Maiden. He got me to buy Rust in Peace, which is still one of my favorite records ever to this day. And I think. Just going in and watching him play solos and being like, I could, I could play this stuff on guitar and, and getting into that kind of music where I think the guitar was a bit more dominant than the punk that I had heard before um, is really what pushed us into it. And I think just having that desire to, to play like he was playing and to play like the records I was listening to is, is what pushed us there. And mind you all, at this time, I was in sixth grade when I started playing guitar so i think our our punk phase started when i must have been in like fifth grade or something or fourth grade and then we kind of slowly graduated into to heavier and heavier stuff from there uh something i've been thinking about recently is how uh punk music could potentially be the the catalyst for driving the speed end of like modern extreme metal oh yeah and then because like iron maiden and and uh, you know the classics, Judas Priest and stuff. That's not that fast. No, it's not. And when you hear things like Kid Dynamite, Pennywise, No Effects, uh, you know, that's where the speed is. You know, those songs are like 200 BPM, <clears throat> and it like normalizes that speed. I, um, do you I, think? Do you think that like kind of translated to your writing at all? I think it it definitely did, and I um, I was much more of a thrash guy growing up. So I think that had a bit of it too. But again, thrash, a lot of the, the faster thrash bands are really influenced by punk and hardcore as well. So I, I do think that had a lot to do with it. But I am also wondering, I think songs like Exciter and like Overkill, Motorhead's Overkill anyway, yeah, uh, yeah. I maybe planted some of the seeds for that, for, for bringing up the tempos a bit. But I do think punk had to have been instrumental in, in just bringing up the intensity. And once bands started playing faster, I think it just became a competition at that point. Yeah. 
yeah, I, I've, I've always seen it as kind of punk and then maybe as an extension of punk, like New York hardcore and the different hardcore scenes in the early 80s. And then, yeah, definitely. Then you get like Slayer and then you eventually get like Possessed and Death. <laughs> and it's all, you know, you get the like, or DRI, the crossover thing. Uh, there's, you know, and like you said, Motorhead even very early on, Fast Tempos. There's a, a lot of. A lot of different influences, but punk and hardcore, I, I think, like definitely play a, a role in the evolution of death metal. Absolutely. Oh, definitely. I think it's it'd be impossible without it. Yeah, man. Um, and and that being said, um, maybe if you could talk about you. I know you said that you you were in an area there probably weren't a lot of shows going on. So, like, what's your first experience with underground shows? And how old are you guys? Oh, uh, uh, just straight up. Like, how old am I in general? Oh no! I meant like when you're going. <laughs> no, I'm not the cops. Remember, I'm not the cops, bro. Yo, I, I got a crew a cut. But, here. Yeah, but no, I'm saying like, how old were you when you started getting to underground shows? Because maybe in your area, it was a little tough to get to get around. Like I know me, I'm from Long Island, uh, about an hour east of New York City, so it wasn't always easy to get to the death metal shows. You know, so I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was gonna say I was going back from my head. Like, how old did I say I was in the last? <laughs> oh no. Um, you got you got to you got to make the fans think that you're young, you know. Keep the illusion of uh, youth there. But. Tell me about I got hair plugs and all that. Man. It's going <laughs> crazy. <laughs> hey, I'm ne- I'm next in line, man. Just don't look at look at the top and there's not much there. So, um, wow, I gotta think. So if I got my if I actually got my guitar in sixth grade, I think we must have been. It had to have been when I was like fourth or fifth grade when we really started getting into it. Um. And again, it was Jamie was the catalyst for that. It was my older brother and, and a good friend of mine, Garrett, who's actually also sitting next to me here. But uh, How big it was is that kind, of, kind of yeah, it's it's a it's a big cat. Hey, we got two of them in here. We're living living in luxury here. Nice. <laughs> so but, that uh, season of missed money. <laughs> yeah, see, there you go. Only had one before, um, and it it was I think it was a lot of just kind of older brother, older friends, catalyst there. But once, I think the, f- the first show we actually went to was at this place called the Harmony Grange, and it was very much a DIY spot, like not a concert venue, it was just like a, a, a gathering hall, I guess, in uh, Hokessen, Delaware, am I right? Hmm. Hoka- somewhere around Hokessen. Um, small town, but the band we saw was this punk band called Big Wig. And I don't know if anybody's familiar. Anybody? Not familiar. No, no. Oh man! So they were they were kind of pop punkish a little bit in the beginning, but with a little bit of hardcore there, and then kind of I don't know went a bit more hardcore after that. But I just remember rolling up to there. So the reason I know that we were young, so even Jamie wasn't sixteen yet, is that my mom drove us there, which is always a classic. Yes, yes. And the funny part about it is. Of course, this is the first show we're going to. My mom pulls up. We're about to get out of the car, and there's like a bunch of weird-looking people there, people with mohawks, tough crowd. And then I'll never forget this. It's fucking hilarious. There's this guy with a trench coat, and he has this like aluminum baseball bat in his hand. <laughs> oh, a negotiator. <laughs> and I don't. To this day, I don't. Know, I don't know why he did, and I don't remember seeing it when we were in the actual show. But I just remember my mom being like. Jesus Christ! Like, I don't want to let you guys out into here. And of course, get we're like, back in the Volvo. Yeah, yeah. Of course, we're like, ah, we we we're already here. Like, we might as well go. And that shit was transformative, though. I mean, that was. I still. I mean, I don't. I can't say I listen to Big Wig that much these days, but 
like they were a very intense band for the time and, and just going where these young kids going and like seeing mosh pits and seeing people letting loose and all in this small ass place a small town and it was really a magic time man. so um well, <laughs> I'm th- oh, uh, as Justin said I'm thinking of Sting late 90s like the, like the Crow yeah. uh, you know like Styles Sting with the trench coat and the like, baseball bat like the beginning of <laughs> WCW NWO Revenge right where, yeah. where Hulk Hogan's mom is driving him in the semi truck and then all of a sudden out of the shadows <laughs> there's this man in a trench coat and an aluminum bat that, I mean, that's essentially what it was. There's like, <laughs> like semi trucks and shrouded in mist. So, um, you guys, uh, it, did you guys go to the same college? Uh, Jamie and I did, yes. And that's so Jamie met Damien uh, there before I arrived, obviously. But and and he was like, and he was he was what was he just like, bro? You got to come to this college. I'm hanging out and listening to death metal, or um, I, I think because we had always played music together and I, I mean very very much a sob story here once he left I just didn't have anyone to play with anymore and that was so much of what we did even though we we weren't a band that went out and played gigs or anything I mean that's every day after school that's what we were doing mm-hmm. so I think when he left and I, I didn't have an outlet for that anymore and I, I I wasn't writing songs all the time and playing all the time it just I knew I just had to go it was that simple, and wow. I think the desire to just, to keep that going and to start it up again was what pretty really got me to go there. Pretty. And I, I do. Um, I remember visiting the campus and really liking the school as well. But without a doubt, that's why I went. Which is really wild to think about how that is what started all this. Really, that's what drove us. That's what started horrendous from from uh, from a, that's the origins of the band. Essentially, is me just deciding to go to the school because i wanted to play music with my brother it's pretty this is the first time we're thinking about this will this is like a, a revelation of, this is a revelation see? yes that's what we do so on the heavy hole so mysticism here this is awesome awesome man well i'm really glad to hear that and i was going to comment how amazing that is because you you said sob story and it is sad to think that your brother left and there you are no one to jam with but now in 2019 looking back at the horrendous discography and all the band has accomplished that's a pretty amazing story to me it is, yeah. Look, you helped me see the light there. So. <laughs> hey, man, it's the death metal scene. I can't take any credit for it, man. Um, <laughs> I, I, I just do the research, man. It's Google, man. Um, so, all right, well, here's the... Um, here's here's the, the. This might be a little narky for you. Uh, I wanted to ask you guys, what, what school was it, and what, do you, what did you guys study, uh, it, it, uh, respectively, if you don't mind talking about that? No, not at all. Um, so it was the University of South Carolina, which is in Columbia, South Carolina. It's obviously not not a very big. Well, the time we were there, it wasn't a very big metal scene. But um, I was in to be a teacher, so I was formally I was studying English and had some like education components as well. And then that blossomed into like a year of grad school that I had to do to to be a secondary ed teacher. Uh, Jamie studied biology and big man on campus ended up with a PhD from the University of Pennsylvania so next time you see him he'll, he'll obviously never talk about it in public but he's a, he's a fucking smart ass smart ass guy he is a doctor yeah he's he's technically Dr. Knox so 
you can greet him as such next time you see him. But, uh, and I mean, I, I still don't have the faintest idea of what he actually does. It's just yeah. over my pay grade, I think. But Doctor Knox might be a heavier name than horrendous. <laughs> yeah, see, look at it. Yeah, yeah. Doctor Knox. Knox is a, it's going to be the new project's name. And just shout to the county medical examiners. I'm not sure any of them are uh, are real life doctors. No. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Are, yeah. I thought they were. Are they not? Are they? I, well, it was like a kayfabe type of thing. I thought, and it was really members uh, of another band. Are you trying to tell me that general surgery isn't really doctors? That's what I thought too. I, listen, listen I, alleged. This is all alleged. <laughs> this is all allegedly. We want to get them all on the podcast so they can talk about it. I'm not going to make any more allegations, but it well, is, yeah, this, but you're going to have to get them on now. Shout, shout to you and your brother for getting your educations, man. That is impressive. And while we're talking about it, um, you did say that that's where you guys uh, hooked up with Damien. Uh, Herring, the other, the third component of horrendous. Yep, yep. Um, what? Uh, while we're talking about it, what field of study was he there for? So he, as far as I know, he was in kind of a more generalized liberal arts degree. But the reason for that is, I mean, he his passion was audio engineering, mm-hmm. and I think our school just didn't have like a formal major for that. It was more of like a minor in audio engineering, I guess, and a major in like I don't know some some random liberal. Media arts is what it was, yeah, Jane, correct. Media arts, but oh. I think he he was really in that just to take to soak in as many as much of the uh, technical side of things as he could of the recording process and the production process. But he also is, though he didn't necessarily pursue what is conventionally seen as like a, an intellectual uh, academic pathway. Like, also a very smart guy. Like this this man from the legends I've heard. Huh had a scholarship so large that he was actually paid money to go to the school like there was excess money that had to be given to him because the scholarship was so fucking ridiculous so what yeah that's- I, I, he's he's also he's also a very unique and intelligent man but as is alex though even though he wasn't there from the beginning so Char- charge it to the game wow we- yeah I don't, I don't know maybe is this the smartest know. band? It's yeah. The smartest band. This might be the smartest band. Well, I had an inkling of the of the level of education we're dealing with uh, in, in this band, and that's why I want to get that out there. And when we talk about Damien doing audio engineering, um, is is he involved in subterranean <clears throat> Watchtower Studios? Yes, that is solely his brainchild. So at this point, he's recorded every uh, release, every horrendous album and release. Yep, he's, yep, he's recorded, produced mixed mastered everything which is one of the things I, i've really loved about the project honestly is that we we kind of live in this bubble until everything is done and then we just pass it on and that's that is what it is like no other eyes or ears ever really touch it until it's out there wow he, he's really really uh, fantastic at it because your all your releases just sound so organic and uh, like they, they push perfectly uh so kudos to him Hey, thank you. I mean, that's exactly what he's been going for this whole time. It's so like, we'll love to hear that. It's like classic and modern in the same way, you know. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Oh my, that's yeah. Keep keep them coming. I'm gonna I'm gonna, <laughs> say, I'm gonna say that in his stead so that he can hear this afterwards. Uh, yeah, don't worry. We can flex for you. You can <laughs> stay. You home. Please, we'll, please. We will do all yeah. the dirty work. Please. <laughs> well, I I do have questions about the recordings and the different albums. Uh, and before we before we we graduate from college, so to speak. Um, what? Sure. So, so you guys are all at college. I assume this is what, maybe two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Yes, I think it was two thousand nine is when we technically started the band. So. Okay, and I was wondering because here's the thing, um, you guys, 
are kind of class. You guys get grouped in sometimes as forerunners of this modern OSDM movement, so to speak, that a lot of people sure. talk about. And I say that not to box you in because I would actually disagree or I would at least say that you guys are kind of like a very pure, um, like first generation proprietor maybe of this that, that a lot of bands look to for inspiration. I'm trying to be very careful with my words here. Um, and, and Watch I, yourself there, Will. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you know what I'm saying? But but I mean, the, the whole reason I'm setting this up is, could you maybe describe in 2009, this is before the HM2 craze and before a lot of this stuff really took off the way it is now, what's the climate of the death metal scene in 2009 and what do you guys um, feel that there is maybe a void for that you're trying to fill? So... Another interesting thing about us starting up is that uh, Jamie and I really weren't all that well-versed in death metal, period. We, I mean, I loved death, I loved Morbid Angel, but aside from, like, the big names, we just hadn't dug into it much. We were, again, we were more like, I was more of a uh, traditional metal thrash guy. We were huge into punk, and we just hadn't really taken the step. And Damien was the one who was, like, scouring the internet for all of the EPs that no one's ever heard of from the late 80s and early 90s and, and kind of bridge that gap and just the way that Damien's playing style was when we got together to jam it just made more sense to play death metal and in a way though I, I think if you listen back to that EP like there's still a pretty huge and I think there always has been a pretty huge thrash influence and it just kind of shows the melding of where our minds were all at at the time but that being said I also don't Personally, I don't really recall a lot of the other bands that were really around at the time that were doing this. I remember hearing like Tribulation's first record, I think Repugnance record. I can't even for the life of me can't remember what that's called. But and a lot of um, like Razorback bands yeah, and yeah. the the very first Dark Descent bands. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. We just uh, we started at such a different time. I can imagine that if you were to start a death metal band now like there's so much out there that's going on and that just that really wasn't where our mind was at when we were starting the band we weren't like oh let's start this death metal band because there just wasn't the same tidal wave of death metal around at the time it was just this is the music that seems to fit all of our playing abilities together and, and all of our influences together and fuck it let's go for it we just wanted to make music at that point yeah, and you're, of course, talking about Sweet Blasphemies, right? The 2009 demo? Yep, Sweet Blasphemies. Yeah, um, and I, I know what you mean, because in my mind, when I listen to it, I hear a lot of that atmosphere of, like, Carnage, Dismember, Grave, the classic Swedish bands that everybody knows. But, uh, like you said, there's a lot of thrash. You hear it in the, um, t the, the, the melodic nature of some of the leads and, and the atmosphere. Maybe even more like your older Death, Autopsy, Massacre, stuff like that. And it was it was very raw. So I also know what you mean with like the, the, the punk influence, and and it's it's very straightforward compared to what you guys will go on to do. And like you said, for the time, maybe outside of like Razorback, it was like a very undercurrent of death metal at that point. Still, you know. That's yeah, it really was. And I think uh, another one of the cool things about that is is it really was in a way for Jamie and I anyway, kind of coming to the genre with fresh ears and being like, all right, let's let's raise some hell in this shit. Let's see what can happen. And Damien, I think, was there to refine it and <laughs> be the person that like knows what exists already, whereas we were just... And the, the bands that you all mentioned is we had just heard probably a couple months prior and really dug in. It was one of those things I had seen them all the time in my research and just not dug in and kind of went this other path. And 
Damien's the one that got us to really sit down and dig into them. I, I can relate, and sometimes when you listen to those older classic death metal bands in context of other things, it, it makes more sense, you know, when you know the history uh, of things. Um, and and now talking about Sweet Blasphemies, when you guys go in and, and you release that, maybe if you could talk a little bit about the reception, is there any kind of like a backlash, people don't get it in your area or anything like that, and are you playing shows at that point? So, Sweet Blasphemies kind of came about by accident in a couple ways um we had been just jamming together and because of my personality and and how i i don't know like to do things i guess i'm a go-getter in some ways um we were just like casually jamming in a storage space basically in south carolina for a while just for fun and i go ahead and book us a show at the local I don't know, the local fucking bar, which is actually a cool place called New Brooklyn Tavern. When I went to school there, that's where I would go to see the bands I would go to see. But they used to have these semi-open mic nights, I guess, like Battle of the Bands type things, which was really meant for bands in the area that nobody knows just to come together and play. So I saw one of them coming up, booked us a show before I think we even had a single song done. And I was like, well... Here's the bad news, boys. We have a sh- we have a show in two months. Here's the good news: like we have some cool riffs. Let's start working on turning them into songs. And I, I, I just remember kind of forcing us into that corner of actually writing them. And once we got there and and really put the time in and had that focus, uh, some pretty good songs came out. And especially for the ages we were, I think I was eighteen or nineteen when we finished those. Um, once it was done, and I think we were proud of it, Damien decided to make more of a project out of it for school. And as far as I know, I think uh, Sweet Blasphemies, maybe The Chills, I think The Chills was too late, though. He was out of school. Yeah, he was out of school for The Chills. Um, but Sweet Blasphemies, as far as I know, was part of his senior project for school hmm. to like prove that he had mastered, adequately mastered, I guess, the the recording and mixing process, the audio process, essentially, for his uh, degree from school. Hopefully the professor knew Carnage and Grave. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I do think uh, the only anecdote I know well enough about that is I think his professor was very confused as to why <laughs> the drums had reverb on them. <laughs> he was like, "Yo, like, why are the why are the reverb on all the toms and shit? Like, this doesn't make sense." So I think the guy was a little clueless, but also recognized that it sounded pretty fucking good for a college student. So, awesome. um, but yeah, from there we just we were like, "All right, these songs are pretty good. We might as well send them out." And just ended up contacting a couple record labels. And at the time, Dark Descent was a relatively small label, kind of on. I don't want to like stain. I don't want to like stain Matt's name with this, but kind of on the same level as like Razorback and other things like that at the time. Um, I, I, I think that to to trace that you know their evolution to some point where they were like Re- Razorback is a, is more of a compliment. You know what I mean? That's a, sure, that's, sure. That's a, it's a milestone to pass as a label. Obviously, they've grown since then. Sure, sure. And um, I think we actually did submit it to Razorback first, and i think we're close to releasing one with them and then i'm i'm failing to remember why we didn't and ended up going on dark descent um i don't know if it just fell through or like the deal wasn't what we wanted but once we got into contact with matt and and at the time skeleton plague was also a thing skeleton plague records 
And I think the two of them like jointly put it out at first, and then Skeleton Play kind of faded away. It was just Dark Descent, and one of the things I I, I am really proud of and and kind of love about our history is I, I feel like Dark Descent and us, Horrendous as a band, kind of grew together in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I and, can I can see that. Yeah. Um, I would like to think that we were part of that growth process for them as well, but I, that might just be pure hubris. I don't know, but um, I think it was it was just really fun to be. We seemed to both grow at the same rate. It's like the bigger we got, the bigger the label got. Then the bigger the label got, the bigger we got. It was kind of like this give and take and this symbiotic relationship, I guess. But uh, no, I, I, I know, it, was a lot, it was a lot of fun. I could see that in the trajectory of, of your albums. Um, <clears throat> and talking about that time period, uh, so when I, I guess I'll put it this way, because you, you you did mention playing that like open mic night, and and that was kind of like the you know all right guys, we got two months. But is there a period where you guys start playing more of your your um, regular death metal scene shows and getting involved in the live setup, or is it still at this point when the Chills comes out on Dark Descent Records in 2012? Are you still not really a live band so much? No, we we honestly still really weren't a live band, and part of that is because um, there just really wasn't much of a scene to speak of, at least close to us. I mean, if we went to like Charlotte or Atlanta, sure, but. And I don't, looking back, I don't know why that is. I don't know if we didn't necessarily, we just didn't seek it out very much, or just the fact that in our minds at the time, we hadn't fully grasped what the band was, and the fact that it was a legitimate band. I think, I think a lot of it, as has always been the case with us, we've always been, um, I think, quick to point to our faults rather than our successes, and. I do think that maybe that mindset had something to do with it. We're just like we're just a bunch of fucking losers that put out a couple songs that sound good, and we're not really going to pursue it further, you know. Um, well, I maybe uh, ho- hopefully you've, you've built a little more confidence since then, man, because you guys have. Ah, a- we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. <laughs> um, look, look in the mirror and tell yourselves, "I am sick. I am. Sick. <laughs> um, I am great." The, a single tear will roll from my eyes. I say that. Um, but I, I do think, thinking back on it, though, and this is, I haven't thought about this shit in a while, so this is just quite a fun uh, time. But Hey, let me tell you something. Everyone who does the Heavy Hole podcast, everyone we interview, that night, best night of sleep they've ever got. <laughs> you get it all off your chest. No, channel. I can't wait. Yeah, this yeah. is like a therapy session at this point. Uh, well, I also think there are a lot of interviews we have, people aren't necessarily that invested in like the first releases necessarily we uh well, like the dp i mean i i can't remember the last time someone asked me about sweet blasphemies honestly yeah i mean um, I, I i like to do more of a historical chronological interview because i find that's where some of the good stories come in and just you know me personally like i follow your discography when i'm into a band i hear all the albums i kind of want to know behind the scenes things like that so that's kind of sure. what we what we're aiming the, the interviews for for the listeners that are like into the deep dive, so to speak, you know. Hey, we're we're in, so yeah, man. We're, we're you know we're we're at the point of no return now, man. We just oh, gotta yeah. keep going to Can't the turn end. Back. Um, there's no there's no abort button here. But um, so I thinking back, actually, I, I do recall now why I don't think we played that much. So right after Sweet Blasphemies came out, Jamie studied abroad in Ireland for I think an entire semester. Hmm. So obviously couldn't play live anyway, and. During that time, I remember being in Damien's apartment writing riffs for the chills, but it, the, 
the whole the concept of the album had not really been born yet we were kind of just i think at the time we were thinking just doing another ep or something but i just recall every so often damien and i would get together and write a couple riffs and save them and like send them to jamie see what he thought about it but that's i think that's a lot of the reason why we didn't play and then the following semester was jamie's last semester at usc so the minute he left Damien and I were still kind of lost in South Carolina and didn't have a drummer, obviously, and I think that's, I guess that is the reason why we didn't play that much. So when we did get together for a show, it was like this whole ordeal where we had to fly Jamie in, or like Damien and I would have to drive up to Philadelphia or something, or New York. So I, I think, I guess that is the reason why we never played that much, you know, thinking about it. In my mind, I'm like, oh, we just didn't want to play or something. But I, I think there were really mechanical and, and physical reasons for why we didn't do it that much at the time. Okay, yeah, a lot of logistical stuff, it sounds like, definitely. Um, yeah, certainly. Uh, well, talking, before we move uh, away from the chills, I wanted to ask, uh, first of all, something that strikes me right off the bat with that album from the first song is that there's like a really fat bass and drum sound compared to Sweet Blasphemies. Is that intentional to kind of bring the rhythm section up like that? I do recall that we, for Sweet Blasphemies, we didn't spend that much time on the bass. And I think Damien recorded all the bass, other than if Jamie, and Jamie may correct me here, I think he may have done like one track, but it was, it was kind of an afterthought for that release. And then, starting with the chills, we really put the time in for writing bass parts. And if you go back and listen to the catalog, I mean, especially the new record was mostly Alex that wrote the bass, but even Anaretta and Ectasis, like there's a lot of shit going on with the bass. And that kind of started on the chills. And I think just because of the amount of effort we put in, we wanted people to hear it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it got ratcheted up and the drums i think were just an improvement overall in general i'm not sure how much i think it was just a desire to make them more punishing uh yeah it's 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 a different sound um as as much as i enjoy sweet blasphemy is a different atmosphere and that's it's it's a good point because alex his first album is idle right Yep, that's the first one he's on. And up till that, I mean, all the recordings, you guys are a very kind of bass-centric band. You guys are almost like a bass player's death metal band in a lot of ways. Indeed, I think we always wanted to just put the time in and make it some a cool instrument to actually follow. Yeah, um, ex exactly, man. And, I mean, talking also about some of the substance on um, uh, the chills, can I ask, maybe this is just in my head, but listening to it, what's the influence of black metal be it um first wave black metal like your old dis oh, like your, your old um you know thrash bands and your kind of celtic frost and things like that or destruction and creator or the second wave bands like your norwegian bands and things like like does black metal play any role at all in the chills from what i can recall i mean i could imagine that maybe we were just listening to a lot of it at the time or something but there wasn't any like overt desire to make it sound like that i honestly think after the demo was released and like we had our first actual physical copy of music in our hands it just became more real to us in a way and at the time of the chills i think we were really just trying to be like as bad and evil sounding as we could which i mean for us isn't, isn't that <laughs> isn't that bad and evil because of who we are but I, I think the desire for the chills was to just go a full 10 on that scale of, of how aggressive can we make this and how 
how metal and sinister can we make this? Yeah, yeah, because like I was gonna, I was gonna say, man, I don't know whether it was, um, you know, j- maybe just me relating things in my head, but I, I got like on a an old school German thrash vibe because a lot of those bands like Destruction and Sodom, they have very early releases that people will refer to as first wave black metal. You know? Sure. Yeah. And um, that's I got a very old school kind of blackened vibe from the Chills. Um, almost like that was your kind of evil album before maybe going in a more articulate death metal direction. I don't know if that was a conscious decision or not. No, yeah, it definitely was, and I think while maybe those particular influences weren't necessarily in our minds, I think, and I mean, this is probably why those albums you referenced sound this way too. I think it's just this mindset of being young. Young, virile young guys just trying to fucking raise some hell, and that's <laughs> that's what we did. We just, I think that was our version of, of just raising hell as much as we could. So yeah, that's that's a that's a good connection to draw to, a very natural one, I'd say. Um, and you guys in 2013, if I'm not mistaken, you go over to Portland, Oregon, and you play the Dark Descent Dark Descent Records Showcase. We did. Um, and so, I mean, at that point, like you were saying, you guys weren't playing a lot of live shows. Where does that fit in in, you, in terms of you guys playing live? Is that still one of your first shows at that point? God, that must have... I mean, that probably was, like, our 10th show, maybe. Okay, wow. and that was sharing the stage with um, Mitochondrian, Dire Omen, Weregoat, um, Ritual Necromancy, amongst others. So it sounds like a pretty sick fest. Sick, sick it, was. it was. It was an unbelievable show. It was a crit. And I do remember the funny thing about that show is just because of the, I guess, the lack of time that we could take off from work at the, at the moment and jet lag and everything. Like, we had been up for 23 hours straight, I think. And like had to take the stage, <laughs> so we were all like, "Oh, welcome to your barely awake." That's yeah, exactly. That's, that's that's when we started. And the funny thing, the uh, one of the most salient memories in my mind about that show is, uh, I think the first time we ever played what would become the Stranger, the first track off of Ecstasis. But um, I don't think we had lyrics yet for it. So the song was done, but the lyrics weren't done, and we were just like, wanted to play it anyway. And I remember just kind of like, making things up to say as the song was going on. All seven minutes worth. All seven minutes worth, <laughs> yeah. It was, it was quite an experience. But so, I think just just the, the joy of being able to play new music and, and having an audience for it, we just went for it. It's like, all right, fuck it, we're going to do it. It's always very tempting to play a brand new song that, that you just wrote as a band live, and so, sometimes it's like a fine balance of knowing when to do it, you know? No, I'm, sh- I'm sure it was the wrong time. <laughs> I, I wasn't in the audience that night, so I couldn't say. In my 19-year-old memories, it was a great time, so... Awesome. Any other, uh, like, like you know, offstage, just, was that the first time you met um, Matt from Dark Descent Records or, or uh, any of those other people, and, and maybe people that you're still in touch with now? I do. Th- I think that was the first time we met him in person. Okay. So I don't think that's the first time we spent a significant amount of time with him. No. So we met him and like talked and, and hung out a little bit, but it really it wasn't all that much because I think he just went back to Colorado that night. Um, the first time we really hung out with Matt and it was, it was a fucking great time. We were at his house. It was uh, some fest in Denver down the line, but. That was for sure the first time we actually met in person, the one in Portland. Okay, um, and then 
How soon after that are you guys... Well, you said you, that was the first time you're writing The Stranger. Was that the first song written for... Tell me if I pronounce it. Is it Ectisis? Uh, we say Ectisis. I mean, Ectasis. I don't know... I don't know. Your guess is as good as mine. Honestly. It's like Demolich, Demolich. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, so Ectasis, um, um, however you say it, are you, are you guys, is The Stranger the first song that you wrote off of that? And then you guys are just kind of in a very uh, quick writing process because it's out in 2014. It was, yeah, there was quite a gap between the two and um, was... And a lot of that just came down to like pure laziness honestly and i think because when the chills came out we were really happy with it but we still weren't i don't think we necessarily considered ourselves a band like air quotes a band just because we didn't play that much because jamie wasn't there we weren't practicing regularly it was, it was like a just project a, 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 yeah it was, it was a project it was a creative project right. and because of that the Ectasis came together very slowly and not necessarily from the writing standpoint I think we we wrote it fairly quickly but actually recording it and getting it done took forever and Jamie's I think the one thing Jamie has over my head over me and Damien I guess to the grave is that his drum tracks were done like I think a full year before we finished guitars and like vocals and everything wow so he was so he was and I mean, the two of us are just living in a college town, like, dicking around, basically. I don't know what the hell we were doing. Like, that record could have come out way sooner. You um, drinking beer, man. You know? I guess, I guess so, man. I don't, I, don't know what, I don't know what the hell I was doing. Wasting time, surely. One way or another, I was wasting time. But um, it took us quite a long time to, to, to finish that. But I think part of that was... That album was the first one where we really spread our wings creatively and having that extra time in the studio where like we would add all these layers see if we liked them or we didn't or kind of that's really where we started experimenting with uh bringing different sounds in to the band and and figuring all that out and, and figuring out how to do it well really because the chills is much simpler in, in terms of the ground that it's covering um but yeah it took quite some time um, well, it's funny to hear you say that because I like two. The, the, the chills is 2012, and then Ectisis is 2014, right? That's two years. That's... I think I'm pretty sure the chills came out in 2011. 2000. Okay, I mean, still not the longest time. There's been. Yeah, it's still not. Longer. It's still not a crazy amount of time. It's but... it's more of just the fact that it was like done and we just didn't do anything. And to I realize that I, I'm rambling here. I didn't answer your question. Um, I do think the stranger was the first song written. Mm -hmm. but if not it was weeping relic and the another nice little tidbit of information here is uh uh one of our good friends named matt polk i'm sure he may listen to this at some point so might as well name drop him here um we met him randomly on the street uh because another friend of ours mike foster also probably will hear this was wearing an insect warfare t-shirt and this guy is like walking down the street downtown and he's like yo insect warfare great shirt blah 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 we start talking about it and then my buddy mike who has the insect warfare t-shirt says to this other guy matt like oh do you like horrendous and matt's like yeah they're they're fucking amazing and they're from here isn't that crazy and he's like ah you're looking at them there's me and damien sitting there <laughs> and long story short we come to find out that matt plays drums and 
the first rehearsal and kind of writing session of Weeping Relic, which I think was one of the first songs we did for that record, was with him, actually. There may be some recording somewhere of him playing drums on Weeping Relic, because this is the era of the band where Jamie was in Philadelphia and we were back in South Carolina. So in a way, he helped craft that song. So. All right. And I mean, talking about writing that material, is there... Um, see, you know, I'm asking again about conscious decisions, but it's something that a connection that I make with that album is maybe more of a pronounced influence of like uh, death, monstrosity, maybe even malevolent creation, like your classic Florida death metal. Is that fair? There is definitely a big death influence, and I, there's always been with us and with me in particular as a writer. But um, I think largely what what was really in our minds at that point is uh, and we were just huge into 80s music at the time and, and 80s metal in, in general and I think wanted to carry that spirit over into the music that we were already making mm -hmm. and for us it just seemed like more of a natural fit to who we are as people um, coming I mean coming hot coming off the chills which is like as brutal and evil as we would get I think easing in kind of this arena sentiment in a way it was like philosophically it's like we want to be playing like we're playing in an arena and, and have that I don't know that huge 80s feel to the music while still remaining in the genre and I think that's a lot of what gave birth to it is uh, listening to this like kind of digging to the bottom of the barrel of, of these 80s traditional bands and like older thrash bands that had just these huge melodies and huge uh, personas going on and finding a way to bring that into the world of death metal yeah some of the best death metal I think is, is death metal that's pure death metal but influenced by other styles of heavy metal um, maybe for the melody and the catchiness sometimes you know um, sure. Uh, there's something to be said for Def Leppard, I think. Uh, <laughs> there is. Yeah, it's great stuff. <laughs> you know it's I mean? great stuff. Yeah. It, but yeah, that's that's totally what it was. I think it's this, and I think all down the road, just as we grow as people, that's it's kind of how it it tends to work. Is we're very interested in a certain idea or a certain genre of music, but instead of just throwing the genre of music into the music, it's it's more about trying to capture the the idea, the philosophy that exists in it, and how can we bridge the gap between what we do already while kind of including that philosophy in there. And that's very much the story of Ectasis, is getting that huge, huge hooks, huge melodies, that philosophy of being, and even being on stage, into what we're doing with the band. And, um, and Ectasis itself, that's the, um, I looked it up, that's the process of shedding off old skin in reptiles, am I correct? Yes, and like invertebrates or something, like crabs and shit. So is it fair to say that there's like a relevance there, maybe to the, to the development of the band or something? Uh, oh, definitely, yeah. I think it was, it was, it was a, a very uh, stark and, and frank, I don't know, pushing forward of that idea that we, we are changing and, and we're conscious of the change and trying to reach some other level. And I think a lot of that came from this fear at first of releasing the record when it came out because it was fairly different from the chills still had the same spirit i think and, and a lot of similarities but obviously a different direction and i think instead of quietly releasing it and 
wondering what people were going to say about it. It was more of this this idea of owning it. Being like, all right, you know what? No, we're going to actually take hold of this and take a step forward and announce that we are, I guess, subtly announce anyway, that we're changing and, and seeking new ground. We'll see yeah. how it goes. Going to own it. Um, and it was... Uh, it was released and it had much deserved uh, critical acclaim in the metal scene and support. Uh, it was the third best of 2014 in Decibel Magazine and kind of infamously in the scene Fenris of Dark Throne. Uh, it made, I think, number 12 on his 20 best of 2014 list. Damn, um, I don't even know if I knew that. That's, really? That's okay. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a little blurb about it, man. You should Google yourself. <laughs> I, I gotta Google myself, man. Um, yeah, Fenris. And something interesting... Uh, that I thought about that was uh, on uh, alongside that best of 2014 list um, with Fenris was the Morbus Kron album uh, Sweven, I guess it's uh, pronounced, and yep. and the Execration uh, album Morbid Dimensions, and both of those. Are you familiar with either of those bands? I'm very familiar with Morbus Kron, not with the other one. Okay, uh, well, because the reason I say that is just in my mind, I kind of group the three of you guys together: Morbus Kron, Execration, and Horrendous. And this is this is Will kind of going out on a limb, but to me, it's not like OSDM, like we've come to think of it and see it in this uh, this um, fashion that's that's come about the last few years. But more so, uh, you guys are like this, uh, almost like a parallel dimension to if death metal didn't evolve in the same way it did in the mid '90s. Maybe when production styles modernized and brutal death metal and slams kind of started coming in. Like, it, to me, it sounds more like early 90s death metal, like your death and your bands that we've been talking about this whole interview. But maybe if it went a totally different way and we got to see that, you know? I don't know. It sounds like a totally different evolution, man. Sure. No, I, I actually love that assessment, Will. Thank you. Um, and I think, again, it's a lot of that came from this the fact that we just none of us really listened to a lot of the, the 90s i guess latter night mid to latter 90s uh, death metal that was coming out and like i just didn't even have an idea of what happened after the early 90s death metal records were out like it's just to my ears like we were kind of just starting from there in a way and awesome. it was it was more of a sense of of ignorance on my part than it was like willfully turning away from what had happened it was just straight up like i like these records and i wonder what we could do if we took them a step this way well it's definitely worked in your favor and if you think about it like people who are extremely current and up on everything death metal when you hear their band they're not exactly the best band and i'm saying this because if you talk to someone who doesn't listen to other music that's not death metal someone sure. who just does that and it's constant replication now it might be a good player, but does it really stick out? You know, you're. It sounds like you've taken this, um, this like stamp of time for death metal, and then everything else that you were taking in at the time becomes horrendous. Sure, that's no, that's exactly it, and I think in a lot of ways that's the the beauty and the miracle of the band. I think is that it, it really, it wasn't always intentional in that sense. It was kind of. Uh, whatever the fates decided that we had heard at the time and, and what we were trying to do and, and yeah. I think that that blissful ignorance of some of perhaps the nether regions of metal that I'm glad that really didn't make it in there we just never had happened to stumble upon it was kind of just this is the template we were working off of and once we started getting into other genres of music that came into the template and the other stuff just never made it there 
yeah, I highly recommend to anyone who's listening to this who's maybe starting a band or something, someone younger, just, like, don't only listen to death metal. If you're trying to make death metal, listen to other things. Remove yourself from death metal. Because death metal, it does, it's not going anywhere, you know? I would never uh, say remove yourself from death metal. However, <laughs> <laughs> only, only briefly. Only briefly. How, no, I, I, I'm busting balls. I get what he's saying. He's definitely right. Um, get into uh, yeah, get into, go any direction, man. Just get into something and find the good stuff, and have have something that gives you a break from death metal, so you can come back fresh. Um, absolutely. And and if you're gonna use the ignorant word, there's definitely way more boring death metal that has been created out of ignorance than horrendous. So you guys, yeah. have, you guys have definitely, t- you guys, if you guys are ignorant, you guys are like progressive ignorance. You know? <laughs> well, so. I, I I think it's luck of the draw at this point, honestly. But I, I guess if I were to point it. I mean, again, I, I like that we have some, some shout-outs to people who are making music right now. I think music's never going to be good if you're just... Well, I shouldn't say that, but a lot of the times music is not going to turn out very amazing if you're just trying to do what you have heard before. You're just trying to make an album that you've loved. I mean, there are great worship projects, and, and they can turn out really amazing, but there isn't necessarily much longevity there, I think. Um Absolutely, but, yeah. But for us, I, I think it's always come down to, at root, just this this desire to grow as musicians and as players and to write music that is, if to no one else, at least really stimulating to us. And I think there's something to be said about following, I don't know, follow, this is going to sound like one of those hokey New Age things, but following your own path and, and whatever that path is and not shying away from it. I mean, we've taken a lot of risks and we've done a lot of strange things. We're going to continue doing strange things, but those are less of a calculation and more of a genuine desire, I think, of of all of us as musical souls to take a step forward and to be to be to be evolving, to always be evolving. I don't want to be on my deathbed writing the same fucking record again, you know. No. And no. I think wherever our mindset is kind of wherever this takes us, it takes us. If people stop listening and think it's bullshit, well, oh well. We're the we're the ones that are trying to go, keep going up on the stepping stones, I guess, and, and reach whatever enlightenment it is that we're trying to find through the music. And I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be an interesting ride, I think. Uh, I think um, that's fair to say, and it seems like you guys have been doing that. Um, and on that note. Uh, Anaretta, is that a, a good pronunciation? That is, that's what I say. So I, I don't know if it's right, that's what I say. And I looked that one up too. In astrology, that's the, the destructive force, the killer planet? Yes, it is. Uh, so going into writing Anaretta, what's, uh, it, it seems to me my take on it is maybe it's a little bit more of like an angular technical death metal album. Maybe um, more along the lines of like your, your later era pestilence or, or death. Once those bands were in their more technical, technical, technical eras, were you guys aiming for something like that, or were you guys aiming maybe to be more, uh, I don't know, more aggressive, more on the attack with with the name of the album? What was the mindset going in? I do think there was a bit of a desire to to bring some more complexity to the music, and again, I, I wouldn't ever call us like a, a tech band or anything, but um, I think again, just the desire to challenge what we had done already and i think we challenged ourselves a lot from the chills to ecstasis just in terms of bringing melody in which there's there's quite a deal of melody on the chills as well but 
bringing melody, bringing melodic, um, not just melodic leads, but like melodic parts, melodic structures, and heavy metal song structures from time to time, and heavy metal riffs that aren't a death metal riff. So we had already done that, and I think Anaretta started what became more experiments with time and with rhythm, which is partly due to the more I don't know, technical albums of bands like you mentioned, like Death, and also partly due to getting into jazz and getting into fusion, and that was kind of our way of, of bringing that into the music, which is it's a very primitive, very primitive form of, of that, that style of playing and, and the rhythms that you'll hear on fusion records, but it, it was our way of bringing it in there, I think, and trying to experiment with not only the colors and the textures of the record, but specifically with the rhythms and with um, how we're putting a song together, I guess you could say. I, I would agree as a listener, and two other names that I've heard thrown around a lot when talking about you guys in media are Atheist and Cynic, and I think maybe that album is where we start really hearing um, that, the, maybe that comparison kind of kind of come to mind. Oh, um, definitely. In, and in the context. They've been two of my favorites for a very long time, so I think looking up to them in the sense of seeing where they were able to go with the music and, and have it still be metal, have it still be death metal, um, I guess arguably some people may argue, but... I mean, uh, Atheist is just such a... Uh, that act to begin with is just uh, so ahead of its time, and I think it's interesting because I, I didn't really make the Atheist connection to Horrendous till Will just said it, and it totally makes sense in my head. But another band that I find with that similarity... Well, doesn't sound anything like Horrendous, but is Decrepit Birth. And they've taken, like, the Atheist sound, too. So it's kind of funny seeing, like comparing you two, in a way. You know? Yeah, sure. You, both very different voices. But, like, like looking back at uh, an inspiration, I guess, and really taking it in your own direction. That's, like... That's how an inspiration should be taken. It shouldn't be like copycat shit. Oh, exactly. And I think I think that's where uh, what I find anyway problematic with inspiration is when I think there's a difference between taking the idea that is beneath the sound and, and the riffs, what have you. I think to me that's what real inspiration is. Like, what were these people thinking? How were they approaching this? As opposed to what does this human being's voice sound like transferred through an instrument? And I think... Right, what kind of scales do they play? Like, yes. You know, what, yeah. are the, what are the drum fills and things like that? Yeah, it's really like, the what is the emphasis? Certainly, and I think, in my mind, I've, I've always admired people who take things more from an intellectual perspective of, of this is where this person's mind was, and I want to follow that path, not necessarily how they actually produce the sounds and, like how this person uniquely manifested themselves through the music that they're playing. So I, I'm definitely more of a take the idea and kind of build from the idea rather than the actual sound that comes from the idea. Right. So um, in 2016, it seems like you guys stepped up um, the, the, pl the playing shows and the, and the live element of the band, um, at least from my perspective, because you played the Decibel Choosing Death Fest. Uh, that yep. was with Dying Fetus, Nails, Misery Index. Dying Fetus and Misery Index on the same bill. We were just talking about that, guys, remember? Yes. Um, along with Deceased, Magruder Grind, Noise, and really diverse bill, especially including you guys. Uh, and you also played MDF a month later, 
uh, that yep. year. Um, and uh, were there were there any other like big shows that I missed for 2016? And was it a conscious decision to get out there more, or was it just like the the stars aligned? I think it was. Uh, so the funny story about the Choosing Death show. So believe it or not, Dying Fetus actually canceled the day of okay the gig. And I don't think anybody knew until like the show actually started. There's just this like makeshift sign on the ticket window, like Dying Fetus is not performing tonight. So a lot of people were really pissed, understandably. Um, and I think it ended up being this like a couple members of different bands got together and just played covers, like famous metal songs, which was really fun. But okay. know, funny, <laughs> funny, funny anecdote, funny anecdote. But, um, <laughs> kind of one of those here we are moments. Yeah, 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 it's, yeah. No, it's been there, man. I, I've been at shows where something like that. What, well, what about MDF? Could you tell us a little bit about your MDF experience? Sure. That was that was interesting because we played at I want to say three o'clock in the afternoon in like the blazing sun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been there. And we were straight up the first band that played. I think <laughs> after the gates opened, Art- so. artificial brain did the same thing, man. Yeah. Yep. So it's like people, there's like 20 people when you start, and then there's hundreds when you're getting towards the end of the set. But this is a dream come true, though, for us. We just hadn't hadn't really done anything like that. The only bigger show we had played before, uh, Choosing Death and and that, and like the the Dark Descent Fest, was uh, we opened one night of the Decibel Tour when Behemoth was playing. It was like a long time ago, a long time ago, in Charlotte. So that was our first exposure to like a bigger stage and, and uh, I don't know, just a bigger production in general. But you're definitely 100% right in, in talking about that year because the show's ramped up. And I want to say that the Tribulation Tour was that year. Am I wrong? Uh, I don't have that in front of me. You caught me on my notes with that. Let me look at this. Yeah, so the Tribulation Tour, believe it or not, was also 2016. Okay, so you guys and were busy. It was towards the end of the year. So yeah, that was, that was the first year where I think it really struck home like hey we're we're a real band guys like oh we made it it's cool and it was intentional and in i think once the offers started coming in it's just like shit yeah why are we not doing this um and it was a great time that the tribulation tour honestly is i can't think of anybody who had a better first tour than we did it was nothing went wrong all the shows were fantastic incredible hospitality tribulation and just the guys in the band are great people like no horror stories whatsoever and it was like handed to us on a silver platter it was <laughs> wild that's well we're glad to hear things went well man that's awesome man and they did they did and um you know it, it's it seems like you guys got some good karma from somewhere because decibel magazine very cozy with you guys number three best album with ecstasis um on the decibel magazine choosing death fest that we talked about decibel put out the flexi the song sentenced right uh in 2016 yep, yep. also um, and uh, in the next year, 2017, you guys were on the Decibel Tour with Midnight, Obituary, and Creator. Did I get that right? You did, yeah. So, so I mean, do you want to talk just a little bit about that Decibel Tour? How, how big of a look was that for you guys? Was that the first time you really got out of state? And, and or, Well, the Tribulation Tour, you got out of state, too. But, I mean, in, like, bigger markets like that? Oh, yeah. The, I mean, the Decibel Tour is much different. It's mm-hmm. every, every night you're playing to fucking hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah, and yeah. I mean that what that really was the dream, like distilled into a month's time. You know, it's like this is this is why we picked up instruments in the first place, and to see to see it happen was really remarkable, man. And I've honestly been missing that we haven't really had a bigger run like that in recent times, and I think we're all itching too. So 
those big package tours are so much fun, man, and and can be a very much a reality check if you're just used to the kind of underground small club tours, um, and then you then you sign on with one of those big sponsored uh, package tours with the big acts. Oh, it's it's way different. I mean, it's I think you you lose some of the personability, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like we definitely once once we got on that tour, it was like, oh, we are we're like the small little guy here that no one really cares about in terms of like the production and like actually getting up there every night and, and all the logistical things that you do as a band but everything else is fucking phenomenal so at what point does let me know if i get his name right alex kulik yep kulik. At, at what point do you recruit him on bass to be the full-time bass player so that was right around the choosing death show actually i think I, it must have been a month or two before that that okay. we actually started getting him to play with us. Okay, and maybe you could take me into the writing and the planning behind your album Idol. Um, and I, I assume Alex was, like you said before, he was involved in the writing for the bass on that. And um, I, I, I've, I've been kind of giving you my take on your albums as we move along. Maybe you could just take me uh, through what was going on in your minds and how you guys feel Idol uh, stands apart um, and, and, and uh, talk about that album a little bit. Sure. So... A lot of the idol sessions, so Damien still lives in DC, and some of the idol sessions that, that started the writing process, I guess, was I would come up with like an idea or something or a part, and then Jamie, Alex, and I would hash it out a bit more, and then we'd go and play it with Damien. So it was kind of this, this constant process of like small parts being written and then slowly gathered into this much larger whole. Um, and it was it was a pretty stressful process actually because this in my mind this album is much more complex than anything we've done before. Yeah, and what I'm also proud of is it doesn't necessarily sound like it's overly technical. I hope anyway. In my in my ears, it doesn't. Is we really wanted to retain the sense of songs and the flow of a song while also really stretching our limits. And I think just with the time of when it was being written and recorded, a lot of us were in kind of strange, stressful places. And I think that bleeds through into the record a bit of, of this, this sense of unease and like paranoia and so much shit is going on around you. And, and I think when you're within that record, I honestly haven't heard it in quite some time, but when you are within the world of that record it is to me almost disorienting in a way like there's so much that's happening um and that was intentional in a way like we we wanted to mirror what was going on lyrically and what was going on politically what was going on everything in, in the world around us at the time and i think the challenge was how do we capture that and, and capture these kind of labyrinth st- song structures and riffs and all these layers that are going on with still maintaining musicality and still maintaining the feeling that this is a song that I will remember when I turn off the record. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I guess uh, you would have to tell me if, if we actually achieved that. I do think what may have been difficult for people hearing this is it's definitely not a record that you can hear once and understand fully, I think. And not in the sense that the music's over your head, but there's there's just so much going on. You you could say that about some of the best death metal records, I believe. 
You know, I think sure. that's, a, that's a quality so. to some really good so. um, articulate and, and to, to use an overused word, technical death metal. Because when you use the word technical nowadays, there's a certain connotation, you know what I mean? But all types sure. of music and, and different subgenres could be technical in their own way. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. That's interesting, man. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, kind of kind of a departure. And also your first album on Season of Missed Records, right? Yep. Yep, so, yep. so maybe um, if you could just tell, tell us a little bit what you were I get were you shopping around did you get an offer were you just was there a conscious decision like guys we have to take our music to a different platform Dark Descent is great but we you know we need to find a more fitting uh, business arrangement now like what was the process changing labels honestly the well I guess there were two pretty big driving factors there and the first and it's a, a position that I, I still tend to find us in now but the first and primary uh, moving part there is that we just recognize that the sound that we had at this point is so different from most of what's on Dark Descent's catalog. And not only that, I mean, I don't I don't feel bad being an outlier necessarily, but I think it was more of a concern of, of getting a different audience to hear it, perhaps. Because, I mean, we had that audience already. We had the underground metal audience. And I think we were curious to see what people who aren't necessarily just digging into underground death metal and are into other kinds of music, into other styles of metal, trying to get it to some of those ears that wouldn't necessarily dig that deep into the into the genre. Um, I mean, it's a so great pa- label for that because they, oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, they dip their toes into both ends of it. You know, the, yeah, the, they really do. And I know, think a lot of really great bands and. Yeah, and it's bigger ones, smaller ones, and they, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like they give everyone proper attention. They do. No, very much. We've been really happy with uh, what they've done, and I think that is a good a good angle to come about this. Like, it's just looking at their roster, it's, they're a bit more open to avant-garde shit, not that I classify us as that, but it just seems like their spread of bands and sounds that they're going for and experimentation that they're that is present on that label seem to match where we knew we were going and where I'm sure we're going to keep going, honestly. But um, that was one of the big factors. And the other is at the time we actually had a friend that was working for them and is really the one who got us an audience there. And in addition to that, one of the satellite campuses of Season of Mist is in Philadelphia. So it just seemed like a really safe bet. Like, all right, we have a buddy that works for them they're not very far away if we have an issue because we did have a lot of apprehension about going to a bigger label um just with all the horror stories you hear of of bands being uh taken advantage of what have you and i think knowing that they're so close and we could go beat down the door if we had to (laughs) um not that i mean we wouldn't be a very threatening crew of people to, to beat down someone's door but just having that that knowledge that they couldn't hide from us, I guess. You know, yeah. like we we can make ourselves known, we can make ourselves seen. So those are those are really just the two big factors of why we left. We were never unhappy on Dark Descent, and Matt's always been a joy to work with. And we actually may, I hope, at some point, work again in the future with, even if it's like an EP or a shorter release or something. But um, yeah, that's why the move was made. So speaking about the future, um, now I mean we've covered. We've covered and spoken about all of your albums. Um, what 
going forward, what can fans of the band expect? Um, I, I would mention at this point, too, that uh, you guys are headlining day two of Necrofest in Brooklyn on September 21st at St. Vitus, right? We are, yes. Yeah, so, I mean, aside from that, what else can fans expect going forward with live performances and new recordings? So, for on the live performance uh, level, we're still kind of figuring that out. We want to do at least one more run, even if it's a smaller one. Haven't quite decided where or when that's going to be yet. Um, and the only other show, to my knowledge, is... We're playing in Baltimore with a band that I actually really adore, a newer band, Aransi Pazuzu. And that's it. That's all that's on the schedule for right now. Okay. Awesome, man. Um, but for recording, though, that's a whole different story. So we are in the writing process for the next record and have made a lot of progress, actually, which has been great. Um, and I think the hope is that we'll start recording for the fifth record October, hopefully, beginning of October. And knowing us and how much time we like to spend on things, it'll probably take a couple, I don't know, four to six months to actually finish. So, Okay, man. Um, any? Can you tell us any? I don't want to pry too far, but can you tell us anything about the upcoming material? And uh, Is there is there's, there's like a buzzing sound? I think, yes. Someone started freaking hitting me up. Let me... <laughs> okay. <laughs> Too popular these days, man. Dude, it's yeah, man. You, you signed a season of mist. Everyone's hitting you up, man. Hey, nah, it's it's like actually just my mom. Though. That's that's, Fen, that's Fenris right now. <laughs> well, tell your mom we said hello. Uh, so I'll let her know. So um, uh, just going forward then with the new album, as I was gonna say, is there anything you can tell us about the new album? Some of the ideas going forward? Any you know? I don't know if you want to give away any of the secrets or anything like that. Sure, I think this this one. Um, I think we're going in a bit more relaxed this time, and I think a lot of that just has to do with, with where we are personally. Um, and in a strange way, I think in, in some areas it's even farther out there than Idol was. And again, I think at this point where we are is like really digging in further and further and further into rhythms and counter rhythms and like how do we put these things together in a metal song. Um, but at the same time, we're also kind of what I, I guess I should say. One thing I, I I want to go about doing on this record is having a bit more diversity. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about Idols, I think it's a very uniform record. Like all the songs flow together really well. I think I guess to put it in simpler terms, each song has every element of what that record is. If that makes sense. Okay, if, I were man. To put, if, if I were to put all the all the elements of what make Idol what it is on a chart, every song has that element in it. Like a uniform, and, uniform flow. Yes. Yeah. And while that is great in terms of flow, I think it's a little different than what we had done in the past, where if you listen to track one on Anaretta versus track three, like they're very different kinds of songs, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I do think that we have... A, a, a bit of a desire to go back to that in some sense where there's a bit more variety on the record for lack of a better word and just sonically in terms of what are you being presented with with each moment of this album um, and a bit more consideration also just to be honestly we have a, a much more material to work with this time around like there's just a large volume of, of uh, stuff we're drawing on and so it's a lot of editing it is, right now 
Like, What's that? You're doing a lot of editing, I guess. Like too, sure, too many riffs. Got to like you know find the best and put them into the the package. Honestly, I think it's more a question of um, finding the best combinations of what we have because a lot. I really love the material that we've had so far, and it's already very clear to us that we have a surplus of material and. and in a way, I think we're almost in the mindset of maybe just trying to write two albums worth and finding what we like the best for this point in time and then sitting on the rest, fashioning that into something else. Um, and I honestly wouldn't be surprised if maybe we try to do a, a pretty quick turnaround between like the fifth and the sixth record just because the ideas are there and I think the, the progression that we like to have with each record is there. and we're in a phase of kind of sifting through all this material we've written together and, and finding the best ways to to match it really mix and match it like okay what we know we know we want this track that's here what's a good complement to this track and kind of building it from there to, to create this next album all right man so um very excited to hear the new album and hear what you guys come up with um uh, with that in mind and uh, you said it's going to be a little more relaxed. Uh, you could relax because um, the, the, the interrogation is coming to a close. As I said, we're going to be respectful of your time. Uh, we just close up, as I said before, we ask you to recommend an older release and a newer release uh, by any artist you want. Just something for our, our record-collecting uh, ravenous music fans that listen to check out. Um, it could be metal, it could be not metal, just something that's generally a little bit older, maybe from the 90s or prior to that even, and something that's that came out just recently, if you could recommend that. Sure. So I, in an effort to not drive myself insane, I did stick with metal. Awesome. Um, yeah, we love it. Yeah. So for the older record... I've always loved this band, and I, I still don't see that many people talking about them all the time, but I really love the record by Holy Terror called Mind Wars. Awesome, yeah. And as someone who, I mean, I've always loved Thrash, I just think the album is really unique in how it bridges the gap between Thrash and Punk in a way that most, most other bands doing that just weren't doing. Like, there isn't that... There really isn't that crossover sound which can sometimes be like a little goofy it's like more like the german crazy balls to the wall thrash bands got together and wrote more punk inspired lyrics and the singer has kind of this crazy mix between a punk singer and, and more of like a traditional metal singer where he has melody at times but it's like gruff at times the music's blazingly fast there's great solos there's great song structures almost like merciful fate parts at times it's just in my mind a really amazing package altogether. i gotta dive into that that sounds awesome yeah awesome holy holy terror and what was the album name the album was called mind wars holy mind terror wars. mind wars man definitely so yep. and you know we were talking about the influence of crossover and some of that older punk inspired music uh on metal so that's a good one um and then it is it i'm sorry go ahead it, oh yeah i was just gonna say it it's, it's a uh and they just do it in a much different way. It's it's much more serious, I think. And there's that's one of the first metal records where I read the lyrics and was really blown away by the topics they're covering and and the tone that they were able to capture with those topics. Uh, excellent. And what about an um a, a newer release that you could recommend? So a newer release, I did mention Aranzi Pazuzu. I love them, but I feel like they enough people know about them. So my actual pick. Um, is a, a fellow label mate actually the band's emptiness okay 
and I'm a big fan of their last two records, really. But the newest record is called "Not for Music," and huh. if <laughs> it's a great title, in my yeah. opinion, um, it's metal, but it is certainly unlike most of the metal I think people are accustomed to hearing. It's almost like this weird industrialish goth stuff going on but to me it's it's really terrifying music honestly if you if you really sit this is more of like a record you'd sit in the dark and kind of stare into the void and listen to honestly it's not an album that's gonna get your blood flowing it's like a mm. this this thing that envelops you this darkness that envelops you and it's it's uh just weird and scary and, and to my ears it sounds really cool and fresh and interesting Oh, I gotta check that out, man. That sounds very interesting, man. And so, and yeah, please and do. And they're on Season of Mist. They're on Season of Mist. So they, okay. just like us, actually, they, they were previously on Dark Descent. And hmm. Not For Music is probably my favorite of theirs, but the record right before that on Dark Descent is called Nothing But The Hole. And it's a bit more, it's a bit more metal forward, but still has all those industrial and kind of ridiculous sounds. But both of those records are phenomenal. That's how we feel. Yeah, nothing, nothing but the hole. Yeah. Yep, nothing but the hole. Something interesting to check out, man. All right, hey. uh, Matt Knox from Horrendous. Uh, we thank you for your time, for going into the history and the philosophy of the band a little bit and telling your story. Um, and uh, look forward to seeing you guys at, like, uh, as I'm just going to say it again, Necrofest, September 21st in Brooklyn, because we do have a lot of lists. Shout out to all of our listeners in the <coughs> New York City, Long Island, uh, tri-state area, if they want to come out and check out Horrendous. A lot of, a lot of really sick grindcore, gore grind, death metal. I think there's a few rappers on there and some professional wrestling. It's going to be... That we'll n- probably be, be down there, too. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, that Necrofest is going to be wild. And, uh, and uh, you know, keep your eyes on uh, Horrendous for all the listeners, um, uh, you know, plotting new material... Uh, and and whittling down what's going to be on the album, man. So, Matt, we thank you so much for your time, brother. Hey, thank you, guys. It was a pleasure talking to you. Going down memory lane, <laughs> having the revelations, everything. Oh, man, man. You're going to sleep great tonight. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm, I'm ready to go already. So. <laughs> <laughs> give, give our regards to your brother and the rest of the band, and uh, hopefully we'll meet up in person sometime soon, brother. Hey, looking forward to it, man. Take it easy. All the best. Okay, so thank you, Matt, from Horrendous. Yeah, Matt Knox um, of Horrendous. Also thanks to his brother, Jamie Knox, in the background, kind of like Lifeline style. Family on the couch. Yeah, giving mm-hmm. giving giving little hints every once in a while, man, when the, jogging the old memory. But uh, shout out to the Horrendous boys. Mm. Uh, looking forward to that Necrofest. Looking forward to hearing their new material, man. Great to hear a little insight and a little behind-the-scenes action there. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. So now it's that time of the evening. Mm-hmm. You know what time it is. Mm-hmm. All right. So old stuff. We're gonna do. We're gonna change it up this week. I'm taking over. I'm going first tonight. We're going old albums first because I got to talk about it. I got something I got to get off my chest. Something I got to get off my head. Actually, uh, can you look up "Castigate"? Bring me the head of Jesus Christ. Yeah, this came out on 1999. Uh, pavement music. Um, band from Germany. This is actually their only album, and it's actually not to be confused. There's two Castigates from Germany, 
and this is the one that only put out a demo and this album, Bring Me the Head of Jesus Christ. So uh, so that's that's how you keep from confusing them there. Really sick, brutal band. Um, as I said, 1999, late 90s. And what's cool about this is, to me, it strikes me maybe like more of your Florida American style thing, like uh, heavy malevolent creation, deicide vibe on this stuff. But okay. but the, and, and also maybe your older European, like Sinister or Hypocrisy, your older, more brutal European bands. But um, production style, this was state-of-the-art modern death metal production for 99. This was like more in tune with your American bands, like your Deeds of Flesh or your, uh, you know, your unique leader style bands, like that type of production style, more so than your old school, atmospheric, cavernous death metal production. So these guys were like, uh, to me personally, an interesting like, uh, I don't know, missing link band, maybe between like the two eras of death metal, your so-called OSDM and your more like, you know, uh, cutting edge, uh, brutal death metal of the 90s. Mm. Um, and I, 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 the drummer of this band, I had to go back and double check it wasn't a drum machine. Uh, maybe that speaks to the production value a little bit, but this guy's really sick, really awesome drummer, and um, really tight production, tight songwriting and performance, just not, not reinventing death metal at all, but just playing a really cool style of catchy, brutal, ominous, evil death metal with a very tight... Um, uh, like, like, I, like I keep using that word modern production but it's just you wouldn't associate this production value with the kind of atmosphere in the songs and the st- style of songs they're writing so much I think it was an interesting combination for the time yeah the the, the drums sound very crispy very high end the mm-hmm. tension in the recording itself yes uh, but still kind of murky feel to the overall recording yeah yeah it's it's kind of like you're 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 like you're, like I said, like you're missing link between like maybe uh, like an old like sinister and like dying fetus. You know what I mean? Like it's it's punchy and it's there and you can hear everything clearly, but uh, the songwriting and and the, the atmosphere is still very classic and old school, man. So I there's just this one album they put out and um, I actually bought it at Tower Records back in the day because it was uh, it was distributed by Pavement Music, you know, and that was also Gore Guts, Eternal Bleeding, a lot of bands on uh, Pavement back in the day. That was a big push in the 90s for brutal death metal so uh you know again like this is something maybe more in line with like vader deicide stuff like that um some some of your classic thrash influence here and there that you can even hear but uh production wise they're so clear so much clarity man so i i enjoy listening to this every once in a while I'll break it out man cool shit castigate from germany the one that put out this album <laughs> <laughs> does sound like a drum machine right yeah. Very triggered, especially for the for that period. Justin, what do you got? So I brought in uh, the Acacia Strain, uh, their 2004 release, 3750. Mm. Um, this album uh, is significant 
because, uh, well, it's the Acacia Train's second record, right? Uh, their first one was a little more of like a straightforward early 2000s kind of metalcore sound. And this is where they kind of um, discovered or, or, or fell into what would what would be their signature sound. You know, if you know the Acacia Train uh, breakdowns, really groovy um, rhythms and, and, and whatnot. Um, this record's crazy, man. A huge, like a fucking huge guitar sound. Uh, they were rocking three guitar players at the time. Yeah. And uh, and this album was actually produced by Adam D of Killswitch Engage, who was doing a lot of really cool uh, metalcore stuff with the Killswitch Engage stuff and uh, Unearth's Uncommon Storm. And, yeah. His uh, his production is solid. All very very solid. You might not like Killswitch, might not like the stuff, but look at what he's produced. He's great ear on that I think like this booming snare is kind of a signature of his you know very layered um yeah you you know this is like a cross between your kind of like mindless beatdown but there is an uh, a creativity behind it um and I like to put this album in a time and place in 2004 where uh Bef- there was nothing really like this before this record, uh, and then all of a sudden everything. And then all like of a this. sudden everything. Uh, people were actually kind of comparing this at the time to uh, Meshuggah's "Nothing," you know, this mm. this kind of like wall of sound rhythm kind of piece. But Casey Strain putting in that, um, you know, that kind of two-step hardcore feel to it, uh, and you know, this kind of got classified as as deathcore, metalcore. It was, it was hard to place, um, and you can tell by like the shows that they were playing with a lot of like more metallic bands. Uh, but I, I just, yeah, I love this man. This was the heaviest thing I had heard when it came out in, in like 2004, 2005. Um, really aggressive, brutal style of like uh, of hardcore vocal by by Vincent, uh, their, their vocalist, who who's again experimenting with this new sound with this record. Uh, just violent, really all around. Uh, I remember trying to see the Acacia Strain on five separate occasions where uh, the show got shut down, first song, second song, or before they even played, uh, before I actually got to see them, maybe like 10 years, 12 years after this album came out. Um, and I just, I love the uh, I love the creative approach to, to beat down hardcore. Yeah. Mm. All right. I mean, it's it's... You say like the time and place too, man, because so many bands started sounding like this. Yeah. But these guys were ahead of the curve on that. I, I think you, uh, it, it's it's hard to measure this band by what they influence because I, I I'm not a huge fan of a lot of the stuff they influence. But you know, this is a this was a a point in time. There's a before this band and after this band. You know, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that a lot. And I, I think it's an important record. So check it out. Thirty seven fifty. Take us back. What do you got, man? Um, so, a few weeks ago, we uh, recorded Ping 2, and yes. I was talking a bit with uh, Paulo about Defeated Sanity. Okay. And it just took over my brain, because 
it's a band I already love, but I really was diving back in. So this is their first LP, Prelude to the Tragedy, mm-hmm. 2004, on Grinder Thick Records. I mean, come on. <laughs> Hard for me to believe that, they, that they've been around as long as they have, yeah. but they absolutely have, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they started yeah. in, I think, 93. Yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things. Yeah, I, you know, I, I guess because they're still so much on the cutting edge, you think of them as new. They, yeah. But they do have quite a history, you're right. Yeah, wow. th- there's something about them. Um, this is before Wolfgang passed away, rest in peace. Yes. If you didn't know, Wolfgang and Lily Gruber, uh, that's a father-son duo. Wolfgang started this project with his son when his son got into the heavy music. Which is the dream of every father. You teach your son to play so you can put him in your band. For the uh, listeners, if you want to reference Paulo, uh, who did our Ping 2 episode, Paulo toured with Wolfgang. Um, and and what, what's the drummer's name? Uh, Lily. Lily. Uh, when both of them were still in the band before Wolfgang passed, and he kind of relates this whole story uh, that was related to him about, like like uh, like Tom just said, like the father son mm-hmm. relationship uh, in the band and everything. It's a really interesting story. But go on about this album. Yeah. So this album specifically is before they got their slam kind of badge, mm. if you would. Because okay. Because this is a labyrinth of riffs. Yeah. It's, it's like a hairball of intricacies that are just placed together. It's a tech death metal album. It has very little to do with slam. Lose your breath, tech death. Mm-hmm. This is, but but it's fantastic in every way. The other two guys who played on the band, uh, Tino Kohler and Marcus Keller, Tino being the bass player, Keller was on vocals. This is the only time they were on a full length with here. They progressed. Those guys... Uh, left the band and we have a more uh, modern resemblance to what Defeated Sanity is today. Uh-huh. Also, I did find this out, uh, Christian Kuhn just left the band. Just recently? Just recently. Okay. Yeah, wow. past few months, um, right. which is pretty disappointing because he's just such a fantastic guitar player and he's been on all their albums since this one. He's Interesting. The, Interesting. Yeah, he's been okay. in the band for 14 years and um, yeah, okay. so I was upset to hear that, wow. but... I know Lily Gruber actually writes all the material yeah. by himself. Yeah, he's, he's got something up his sleeve. Don't yeah. worry, don't worry. He'll find someone that can fill the shoes, but yeah. Christian was a great guitar player, but either o- way... Oleg, Oleg, I'm looking at you, buddy. Oleg, get out there. <laughs> get in there. They're known for just doing so much with basically a skeleton crew. Uh, four members at any given time, just writing crazy shit. Uh, Lily is a fantastic player. Wolfgang bringing it to the next level with the sun father relationship creating this legacy they have still around today yep. you know i don't want people to overlook this album it's not their slam stuff and when i say their slam stuff it's still some of the most complicated writing on the market uh-huh. uh, a, a killer fucking album all the way through hard decomposition i think is like possibly a song that can go toe-to-toe with like hammer smash face for a classic death metal album song this is really amazing death metal production and performance, uh, just like flawless victory. You know what I mean? This is great death metal. Like you said, not a lot of those breakdowns and slams, but this is this is definitely like when you say te- that word technical, overused so much, man. But this is really good technical, brutal death metal. Mm-hmm. And they've stayed afloat since you know, like you said, for over fifth or fifteen years. You know, um, by by innovating and staying modern. Yeah. So it's, yeah. Yeah. One of those bands where this is very interesting to, to listen to in light of their discography once you've heard all their other stuff, too, man. You know, the story, you know, again, just to, to um, encourage the listeners, listen to Ping 2 and listen to Paulo tell the story of Defeated Sanity, that he, uh, the, 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 the segment of the story he knows, man. But yeah, also, excellent release. Also, Justin, you weren't here for that episode. One yes. thing that Paul let us know about Defeated Sanity is that they track everything live. 
Well, I love to hear that. I, it's just amazing. It's, in, it's whatever insanity. Yeah. It's, it's defeating my sanity right now. How amazing! I love yeah. it. Yeah. So get back in the time machine and listen to Prelude to the Tragedy. I got something new to recommend you by a, an old band, a classic band, shall we say. Um, I just recently uh, released on um, a little YouTube video. It's like a, it's like a preview. The band is Sorcery from Sweden, uh, and they're going to have an album called Necessary Excess of Violence to be released on August 20th through Extreme Music, very reputable death metal label. So they put out this Death is Near is the name of the song, official lyric video. Um, this band, Sorcery... Uh, long-running band going back to um, let's let's see exactly it says they started in 86 first demo in 87 they took a little hiatus um, and came back in 2012 and actually put out three of their four full lengths since then so they've been arguably more active uh, in the in the 2010s um, than they were through the 80s and 90s though they did release a full length and a, and a series of demos uh, through the 80s and, and uh, early 90s but um, uh, I'm here to talk about new stuff, so we're going to go ahead and recommend this uh, Necessary Excess of Violence album that's coming out. You can check out this Death is Near lyric video. Uh, I enjoy it a lot, man. It's like, they're a Swedish band. You can definitely hear some of that Swedish death metal in there. Hear it in the guitar tone right mm-hmm. away. Mm-hmm. But something about this band, um, especially in the, the maybe the um, expressiveness of the vocals, uh, it reminds me a lot of Deceased and of Massacre. Um, and uh, for those two bands specifically, because of the, like, like I said, the expressiveness of the vocals, I wouldn't say tongue-in-cheek, but it has, there's kind of like a B-horror movie vibe to this, like a classic old-school vibe where it's, you know, we're not, we're not watching Hostile, we're not watching Saw, it's not that, that creepy yet, you know what I mean? We're in like, mm. re- like that really kind of fun old-school horror vibe. Um, and, and these guys, you know, the laboratory, the zombies, that type of thing, man, you know, and, um, I really enjoy this band for that matter, because they, they kind of do like a crossover of the old school creepy death thrash thing that maybe was a little bit more of an American, uh, phenomenon, and mixing it with that classic European and Swedish HM2 melodic vibe, um, again, just for fans of, uh, you know, like, I like, I like to say again, Deceased and Massacre, two bands, maybe even like Impetigo, maybe even some of the Razorback bands, but being that this is a classic legacy group dating back to 86, pretty much the beginning of this whole death metal thing, uh, it's really cool to hear them do it, um, because the nostalgia doesn't sound like nostalgia, it just sounds like old dudes, old dudes doing old stuff, you know, so... (laughs) (laughs) Come on. So, Sorcery from Sweden, 
Um, get into the legacy. Check out some of their older albums. Uh, check out some of the history of this band. Read up on them. And like I said, they got this brand new album coming out on Extreme Music with the raw production, with the kind of... Um, uh, listen to that bass, man. It just sounds noisy, you know? And they have, like, what I said, the vocals have this dramatic emphasis that reminds me of, like, the, the classic B-horror vibe, the old-school death vibe. So, yeah, ch- check out Sorcery and uh, do your homework on them, man. An old-school band that maybe not doesn't get the credit they deserve, you know? Rad. Yeah. Awesome. What you got here? So, new boy this week, uh, I got this band Cloud Rat uh, from Michigan. This three-piece, uh, fantastic fucking grind band. Uh, their new album, Pollinator, out uh, on September 13th of this year on Artifact Records. Um, this is the latest uh, of this band's... This, I mean, this band has four LPs, 11 EPs and splits. They have a live album... Uh, all from 2000 from 2010 on, right? So they, they're a, they're a, they're a busy band. Uh, this new release, Pollinator, seems to be their most um, calculated, uh, mature, but still uh, fucking violent, urgent record to date. Um, their singer uh, Madison Marshall just has this like desperate quality, just completely. Uh, just angry, you know, the style to what's going on here. Great vocal style, very refreshing. Yes, yeah. Uh, grounded and urgent is is, is how I, I would explain this. Um, painfully emotional is kind of what I, what I, what I read too. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to checking this band out live uh, if they come around. So I've heard nothing but great things about how uh, how tight uh, and exciting you know, how this band can kind of like grab a room into what they're doing. Um, it's interesting too. There's kind of like hints of doom metal and black metal going on, um, like through the two songs that they released on their Bandcamp. Uh, is that is that uh, CloudRat.Bandcamp? Uh, yes, that's the correct. CloudRat.Bandcamp.com. So please check that out um, and and grab this this CloudRat album, Pollinator. Man, this is a this is a really cool grind record coming out, and uh, can't wait to hear a lot more bands copying this. <laughs> Yeah, this is a cool band, man. I have uh, a vinyl of theirs at home, an old one I bought years ago, man. I gotta dig this out now, man. But you're right, because this sounds like it has a little bit more clarity to the production, a little tighter, man. Cool shit, man. Awesome band. Never saw them live. Gotta check them out. Bringing in Shabdi, Trembling, and Chorn. 
Portland, Maine band. They released it in March 2019. Now, I had brought this into the heavy hole, but it was on an episode that's never going to see light of day. <laughs> I know it sounded familiar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. But And just for the listeners, it's not because it's like some crazy secret or some it's, it was just we gotta go back to the drawing board on that episode we'll, we'll, yeah yeah exactly okay um no nothing bad happened i just wanted to bring this band back to yeah. everyone's attention here and share this one because i really enjoyed this band i saw them back when i saw church burn in uh at saint vitus okay i'm guessing that was uh like april or something now but yeah. it was a few months back and i was really impressed by this band live so their their album trembling and shorn it's epic like all the way through nothing corny about it it's theatric dramatic everyone's at their a game on this the three piece um i met rob the guitar player vocalist and ray the drummer and they were phenomenal live i didn't get to talk to the bass player and forgot his name but he was also awesome um this band everyone's doing everything right but it should be a four piece because this album is a plethora of good songwriting with textures and layers and stuff and because they're a three-piece it doesn't translate as well everyone's doing their job right but i would love to see another guitar player in this band i i saw hate eternal a few years back when they were touring for in fury which was not their not their latest album the, the one before, and they they same thing it was just uh, eric rutan playing guitar with no rhythm guitar and i thought to myself this is great Mm. But it would be so much better if you just had that rhythm guitarist to fill it out a little bit. You know, sometimes that'll, that's that, that's a happen. That, that's a problem with uh, three pieces. You know. Yeah, and I really want to tout this album. This album yeah. is great. It's like progressive black metal, but death mm-hmm. metal vocals. Really, really great writing. I, I put the last song of the album on here. It's called Below Deck. It's eleven minutes, and usually I clock out at seven. But man, yeah. these guys just—they're doing it right. This is a good band. Check this out, Shabti, S-H-A-B-T-I, Trembling and Shorn. Very scary and suggestive album title. So thanks for tuning into the heavy hole. Yeah, th- thanks to Matt Knox from Horrendous and uh, social media stuff. Google it. Do the Google. Yeah, if you type in the heavy hole, it'll come up. But you can also go to Heavy Hole Podcast at Instagram. That's the fun one. That's where all the that's where all the beautiful moments are. That's where all the images. Why don't you leave us a voicemail? It's at 631-837-3274. Hold on, I was putting that in and. Uh, I, I, actually, I don't even have my phone on me. Tom, can you just say that one more time? Yeah, sure. It's 631-837-3274. Hold on, Tom. I couldn't hear you over the roar of the engine of the all-new Chevrolet Silverado. What, what is it? What the are we getting checks from? Running did, you get, did you get a new truck or so something? So strong, what? so dependable. Is this a joke I don't know about? Not a sponsor at all, but... Maybe, maybe it will. Did you get a new truck? Let me turn on. Let me turn down the FM radio on my all-new 2014 that, Chevrolet. Yes, yeah, so, all right. So, Sick. listen... It's just a it's just a strong dependable truck. And All right. They're not sponsoring the tell, show, but tell they the should. Phone number. All right, it's 631 837 
3274. Good night, everyone. One.